Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Viva Bastardo Show, which is a part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today, we have Ben Clymer with us, who is the founder of Hodinkee, the watch website. We're going to be talking about all sorts of fascinating, mesmerizing things like his collection of unrestored cars, uh, Ferrari 330 GTC, BMW M1, Alfa SZ. I don't know why I gave Alfa this weird Italian accent. Uh, also golf, also watches, uh, also his extraordinary sleep habits. I'm delighted to welcome my friend Ben Clymer to the show. Um, ben started a small website called, really a blog uh, called more, more of a more of a Tumblr the, <laughs> called Hodinky, which I think is would not be um, it would not be crazy to say that your website and Hodinky itself has sort of changed the nature of watch collecting as a whole. Um, don't you think? Just, uh, just say yes. Just I mean, say. yeah, sure. Let, so let's take, just let's take, go with that. I'm going to take it. Take, from, you, from you, a compliment. I'll take. <laughs> it's so rare. It's it, so rare. It, it really is. But we should t- also talk about. Um, so. Thanks you so much for being here, man. I My appreciate pleasure. it. Truly. Um, we met, and I, like, I actually I was considering bringing my uh, bank manager in here because <laughs> you are responsible solo you're so own, you're for emptying out my bank account for the last seven years because mm-hmm. when we met, I was not interested in watches at all. Correct. I was a vintage car person. Mm-hmm. And we met because I sold you... <laughs> what what did you sell me? I sold you a, a perfect condition <laughs> Lancia Flaminia Sport Zagato. And where is that car now? But you that's how we met. We you you and I don't even remember um so you bought the car and right. then we became friends but I don't even remember friends how, enemies whatever. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. I say friends yeah. in a loose term. <laughs> um and then yeah you you kind of introduced me it wasn't. There was no kind of. Oh, Phil, look at this watch or yeah. look at that watch. Somehow, it ended up being sucked into the vortex of watches. Is that that's just something that happens with you? Yeah, I mean, those that spend any any considerable amount of time around me are going to experience watches in one way or another. It's just it just it is what it is. Um, and so, you know, our interaction is not totally uncommon for me. We were introduced by Bradley Price, I think, or maybe Santo, who's a, a wonderful mechanic in the area. I think Bradley, because he had said, "Oh, a friend of mine right. might be interested in your car." Right. Yeah, I, I was looking. Should we talk about cars? You yeah. Talk? Okay. So I, I was looking. You have a passing interest in a cars. passing interest in cars. I was looking at a Maserati thirty five hundred Touring body, right. which I thought was just like one of the most beautiful cars in in the world. And then Bradley Price and Santos said you should look at a Lancia Flaminia Touring body, which is effectively really the same car. And then say, oh, we actually know this fucking guy, <laughs> this uh, guy who has a Zagato body Flaminia, and it's local and it's. Pretty good. Uh, it's not great, but pretty good. It's an extraordinary yeah. example. <laughs> you should go check it out. And he's that's very, how we met. Yeah, yeah. He's very trustworthy. <laughs> and then you just beat me down. Uh-huh. I remember. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Didn't I give it to you in the end? You basically gave it yeah. to me. Yeah. I think it was a gift. Wait, did you yeah. trade watch and car here? Like, was there No, because I wasn't into it. You had I, no watches at the time. Or very oh, few well, watches. St- now, come now, sir. I had a 95 <laughs> Speedmaster. Right. Uh, and what's no, the story with that watch? I bought – that was the first watch I bought myself when I was in advertising and right. I had some money and I thought I'm going to go down to 47th Street and I bought this watch new. Right. Um, and that was the first kind of real watch I had mm-hmm. um, other than the Timex digital watch from 1977 that I still have. So, yeah, and then I, I disappeared down a wormhole uh, of watches. But I, I'm I, – actually, I'm very interested in the – I want to talk a little bit about Hodinkee. Sure. Um, and first of all – the name, I'm sure people always ask you where the name came from. I know yeah. it's Hungarian or something. Is that right? Czech. Czech. Yeah, Czech, yeah. But what, I'm interested in the process of that. Like, how did you decide 
oh, this name sounds good. Because I'm sure that when you said it's going to be called this, yeah. so many people said, what's wrong with watch my wrist? <laughs> yeah, or all exactly. sorts of, wrist, you know, like hairdresser wrist puns. It, well, to, to be clear, nobody said that because I didn't tell anybody about it because this wasn't intended to be a business. Like this right. was a fun project for me to bide my time while I was working in a very, very boring job at, at, a, at a bank here in New York. Right. And this was 2008, 2009. I was 25 years old. And then Lehman Brothers collapsed, right? And so then like the world, the world's financial like systems just basically imploded. And I just wanted to do something something else entirely. So I, I, I didn't give Houdinki a second thought because I didn't think it would be anything at all. Like it was just a fun little pro- what project made you, for me. What, how did, what, why that work? Sure. So I, I Googled. So I, the one thing I knew about the watch industry, which I didn't even really understand back then that I certainly do now, is that the, the, the digital space and the luxury world, the relationship was tenuous at best. I mean, really at best. And back then it was crazy. I mean, it was really adversarial. And so all the websites that were watchworld.com or mywrist.com or whatever, they were gray market dealers. And what I mean by that is non-authorized resellers of watches. Sure. Uh, and I knew that the luxury folks really hated that, and they still do. Um, and so I wanted to create a, a website that was lighthearted, goofy, you know, like I I, I tend to take a, a very, like even though we're writing about expensive watches, like I take kind of like what I call like a middle-class mindset towards everything. I don't come from a world of luxury, so I wanted something that was almost self-deprecating. And like we built a business with a name that's pretty fucking weird, you know, pretty goofy. Right. Uh, right. And it took a while for the Swiss to kind of understand what this thing was and how it was different than like the Rob Report, which is like takes itself so seriously and I know those guys the friends whatever but it's just a different thing uh, and so you know nobody pushed back because there was nobody there to push back I didn't tell anybody about it it was just but fun. How, how were you aware of this adversarial relationship that's interesting because I mean yeah. how 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 do you know that existed? Yeah. Uh, so I, I I knew basically that like if, if I went to World of Watches, which I don't even know if it's still a thing, but like Luxury Bazaar, which was kind of like the big gray market dealer and, and still is, um, you know, those guys I knew were saying, okay, buy your Rolex at 40% off or 30% off, which is unheard of today, obviously. And I just knew that like that didn't feel right to me. And like for, for whatever it's worth, even though we're kind of like a disruptor in this space, like I want to do things the right way. Sure. And for me, it was about being accepted by the Swiss, being accepted by the European kind of traditional conservative mindset of, of luxury instead of kind of flying in the face of it. And those guys, the, the the gray market guys, really do and did fly in the face of, of the traditional luxury consumer. And I didn't want that. I wanted to be part of the, of the gang, really. That's not dissimilar to our friendship, actually. <laughs> you always want to be accepted by the traditional European face of luxury that's, me. That's, you are wearing cashmere today. <laughs> I am wearing cashmere ca- turtleneck. Yeah, yeah. Which, is a, which is shocking because yeah. normally you are fully head-to-toe, underpants, socks, cashmere. Generally speaking, that's yeah. accurate. Yeah, it's yeah. good because the skin condition. <laughs> No, it's like, I mean, Hodinkee, you know, I've, I've told the story ad nauseum, but I'll, I'll tell it one more time. Like, the idea was really just for me to get, to become a better writer. I, I applied to journalism school. I was writing for Forbes, actually, with our friend Hannah Elliott. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was editing a book blog, truly, uh, at Forbes back then. I was writing for AskMen.com, GQ, Financial Times, How to Spend It. I just wanted to become a better writer. And the one kind of like limitless kind of... Um, source here was, was watches because nobody was really writing about it. So at what point did, was there, what was the point in, in Hodinkee's ascent where you thought, oh, this is turning into something? Yeah. Because well, there must be a, there must be a point yeah. where someone goes, well, you suddenly realize, oh, all these people are paying attention. Yeah. It, it, it was early days. It was when uh, a brand wanted to advertise with us. And I said, and they were like, hey, we'll pay you 2,500 bucks a year <laughs> right. to, to run a banner next to your content. And I was like, right. look, I'm going to be doing this anyway. Like, I might as well make this money. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, a bigger brand called Audemars Piguet, um, Francois, who's the global CEO, used to be the US CEO. And he was kind of an early believer in what we were doing. Um, he said, can we, he, he didn't say can we, like he he offered to advertise on, on Houdinki. And that, that deal was, I don't know, I mean, 
I'm going to say $20,000 for the year, something like that. Right. But like that paid for my life for <laughs> at least half of the year, if not right. more. Uh, paid for my rent, certainly. Uh, and so then I was like, okay, we have something here. And then when I was in journalism school, my professors, Houdinki started to get a lot of press because I was young and talking about things that like nobody was really talking about at the time, vintage watches, which nobody gave a shit about back then at scale. Um, I was in the New York Times. And one of my journalism professors said, was that you in the New York Times? And I said, yes. And so they started to kind of like understand that this could be a real business. And it was at Columbia where I began to realize like this, in fact, was a real business. And so when all of my classmates were looking for desk jobs at CNN and the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and, and frankly, not getting them because those jobs don't exist in journalism anymore. I was like, I, I think I have a job and it's a pretty fucking fun one, you know, and it's mine. Right. Uh, and so at Columbia, I met Will Holloway, who, who you know, who's still with us, a super talented videographer. And then Steven, who was with us as well, hired both those guys full time. You're smiling right now. I don't know why. <laughs> just uh, happy to see you. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so we hired those two guys and then kind of went off to the races. And now now here we are. I mean, it's been I have to say it's been a real joy. Uh, to see this, the, well, I, the last seven years, the ascent has been kind of extraordinary, and particularly the LVMH involvement. Sure, uh, I mean that's really that's that's sort of the paper wave. You know, it doesn't really get much better than that in the luxury world, I yeah, would imagine. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, LVMH is a minority shareholder, not company, sure. minority investor, but I think having that that. Um, you know, that, that big brother or that type of um, suggestion that, like, we're on to something in that meaningful of, of a way. I mean, they own 70 of the greatest brands on, on, on the planet. Um, w w meant a lot to us, for sure. And I think, you know, I've, I've gotten to know some of the Arno children over the years. Some of them have bought watches from us, et cetera. And it, 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 it was super meaningful, for sure. I mean, I think I think that um, in some ways it was validation as, like, a kid from upstate New York. Like, that's a big deal to have, you know, Elvin From the streets. Yeah, exactly. From the streets. Mean streets of Brighton, New York. Um, <laughs> that's right. But... Uh, you know, they're, they're a great partner. And I think we have lots of other investors that, that are, are more involved in other ways, for sure. sure. But having them involved is, is meaningful, no question about it. Well, it's, in it's, the luxury space. They're everything. The, the, yeah. That's, yeah. That is, has and that enabled you? Has that affiliation enabled open doors that might not have or not, not really? Not really, to be honest with you. I mean, we, I, I, have, I have never asked anyone for anything, truly. And I think like that is how well, we... Well, I mean... Except, except for you. you know. <laughs> you're always asking yeah. me for things, man. I mean, I'm sure that your affiliation with me has opened many doors. Several doors. I mean, yeah. I think to the that, mechanic, yeah. That really... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I feel like that our friendship probably opened the door for LVMH uh, Most likely, investment. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm, I mean, I don't want to take credit for it. <laughs> well, there, there is a Toledano somewhere high up in French luxury, is there uh, yeah, well, well, my family, uh, my cousin Ralph Toledano ran uh, Karl Lagerfeld and Celine, and then um, Sydney Toledano. Right. I feel like we're. I'm not sure if we're related, but I'm going to say we are. <laughs> you just in, just for just in case, uh -huh. I mean, just to cover my bases. <laughs> Wait, did you do the American accent thing on Celine? No, I went. I did French accent, Celine. Okay, just make sure. Yeah, I just want to check. I mean, I can <laughs> do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I can do yeah. multiple accents. Yeah. You know, if you want, <laughs> I could do this whole thing in an American accent. Actually, I can't. But so, um, so we we at twenty fifteen, you and I started two different arcs of collecting. Correct. I went in the toilet with all sorts of weird watches, but mm -hmm. you, but actually, if for cars, man, you, it's been amazing to see how you've grown from the extraordinarily mundane. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you've 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 developed your own particular niche. Yeah, you found, and it's such a climber niche. It is. Do you want to do is. you want to tell everyone what it? it sure. Well, I mean, like the, I, I think the arc, which I appreciate you you know acknowledging here, it, it really did begin with the Flaminia that that I bought from you, and that it's a coach built car. It's it's a yeah. auto body car, which is just extraordinarily rare and quirky and and weird. And that I started to realize how much more special cars like that were that were coach built, like literally made, you know hand hammered uh, in aluminum, than say uh, a vintage Porsche, which I also love and at the time i had a 356 that was just a restored that green one, one. The green one. Yeah, yeah yeah it was cool um and so that got me interested in zagato bodied cars and just kind of coach built cars and then from there that car very quickly led into an unrestored alfa romeo zagato which i think is still probably the best thing i own or one of the best yeah. things i own and that car happened to be unrestored and it had you know it basically sat in a in a garage in queens of all places from like 1968 to 2015 and that just got me hooked on finding unrestored cars uh, and so that is now my my gray love well for 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 people who don't know um finding unrestored cars is kind of miraculous mm. because these are things we're talking about things that are 50 60 years old yeah. and or, or or older and almost everything so much has been touched at this point of course. i mean you what's the the so you got a the Ferrari three hundred and thirty yeah. GT GTC GT GTC that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Now, first of all, the spec is just makes me deeply depressed because <laughs> the whole thing. You know what the whole thing is. In fact, this, by, the, by, the yeah. end of, by the end of this podcast, I will be sobbing with sadness, <laughs> not joy. But it's it's grey, it beautiful dark grey, red interior, correct, and. Uh, original paint and mm -hmm. what's the story it was in the it was the garage so, the, so it, it sat in a garage uh owned by a gentleman named uh, a gentleman named francesco corby who actually sadly just passed away two i weeks feel like ago. you could have given a little more with the accent there <laughs> francesco <laughs> yeah um so he owned the car from 1971 till so when i bought it last year he was just kind of a, a, a gentleman that lived in rome and his you know his family was in you know some sort of industrial thing and he bought the car from his friend only to drive to his house in spain because it, you know, it's a as you do, as you do, yeah. Right. It's a real GT, so he'd throw you know his suitcase in the back and just cruise down to to Spain, right? Um, and then you know it it became expensive and it, et cetera, et cetera. And he just put it away, and he put it away in around 1974. Had it serviced once in '78, and then didn't touch it until last year. You see, that's fascinating to me. The idea, because if it was me, I'd sell it, of course. But the idea that you would have this thing and then you would just, I would feel so terrible. Going down to the garage, you just see it there, and I, f and I, f I would feel like it would be just sort of generating these recriminating vibes towards me for not driving. So it, if I, that makes any sense, I feel the exact same way. But in Italy, it, it's very different, and you often, obviously, you often find Ferraris and Alphas sitting in in warehouses and garages in in Italy, and it's just a different kind of mindset. And they said, like, he felt that this car was part of of his history, and he thought maybe someday one of his children might want it. I see. It, it became very expensive, obviously, uh, and then you know when he decided to sell it, he owned the car. For, for 50 years, so 2000, uh, last year, 2021. Um, and then he just wanted it to go to a good home and then a, a mutual friend connected us. And to be clear, the motor was in pieces because he thought in 2015 or so that he might want to you know, restore it and get it back on the road. And then he got the quote for the engine rebuilding. He's like, fuck that. No, no way. You know? <laughs> right. uh, but to be clear, he had a garage that was not affixed to his house, you know, down the road. So he didn't see it every day. Right. And I do think had he seen it every day, he would have been tempted to kind of get it back on the road or sell it back then. Right. Um, I think he's really happy that he waited, honestly. Uh, and those well, cars, you know? <laughs> I'm sure he was happy that he waited for sure. Um, but it, it's an amazing, it's a car I'd, I'd always wanted. And Ferraris, as, as you know, and as, as we all know, like 
most of them have been restored. Most right. of them have been kind of tarted up, and just it's not it's not an easy card to find with any amount of character or charm because they're the least expensive V12s. Like they're the they're the you know they're the car that a lot of guys start with when they get into series Ferraris, and so because of that, they they were bought and they were restored and they were painted red. And so this car with original, and they always paint, have that terrible like over the, the puffy suit. yeah exactly. yeah the upholstery. It's yeah. I hate it. It's Me just, too. It's it's just sort of bulging out. It's it, terrible. Yeah, it's yeah. awful. I mean, it, it makes it look like these are this is Connolly leather hand stitched. The whole thing back then, it makes it look cheap, and like it's right. very hard to do on a handmade Ferrari, you know. <laughs> but somehow people have done it. Right. Uh, so finding this car, 330 GTC, in unrestored original condition is amazing. And what's what's even more incredible about it is that it's got the original chassis sticker on the mirror from from the factory. Right. It's got his last registration, which was 1973 or 74, on the window. His last insurance sticker on the window. It's got it, a panini in the glove box from <laughs> 72, it, untouched. It has original panini. It has cigarette burns all over it. Does it really? Truly, oh, it, that's it's so amazing. Great. That's uh, it's fantastic. just an incredible car. It really is. And then also, can we talk about the most recent? Sure. Oh, okay, so so I think a, a few years ago, you drove my M1. Life-changing. Uh, it is life-changing, it is. isn't it? It, it was is. It was life-changing for me. Yeah. And then you made me exceedingly low-ball offer <laughs> right there thereafter. You got an all-cash offer. Yeah. An all-cash offer yeah. <laughs> in the single digits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fair to say you've been sort of interested in one yeah. ever since, right? No question. No so question. you... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just it it just blows my mind, yeah. man. That these things just wash up on the shore of Climber well, something Beach, like that. Like some people root around for decades <laughs> trying to find these things. And they they just they just ring the doorbell of your house and go, "Hey, what about me?" Well, to, to, to be clear, I spend a, like an inordinate amount of time searching for these things. <laughs> I, I truly do. Like in the forums, I, I go on right. Italian forums all the time. The the do you M- speak Italian? No, do you? No, but I, you know, I can say words in Italian style. But so it, so do you? So do you use Google Translate? Yeah. That's it. That's exactly it. it it's so easy. Uh, right. And on, on those forums, I didn't find the Ferrari on, on, on the Italian forum, but I found parts for my Alpha on Italian forums, for right. sure. Um, so, yeah, the, the M1, which, you know, yours was the first that I drove, it was a it was a revelation, you know, because it's a real supercar, but incredibly easy to drive. And, right. like, the way that I look at vintage cars is if I were around and of means in that day, would I buy that car new? And, like, my 67S, like, you know, which is a, a, you know, the super version of the 911, like, I would have bought that car new. And I, I look at things that, like, I if I could have afforded, I, I would have bought. And the M1, to me, is like a gentleman's supercar. You know, sure. it's, it's not an F40, which is right. fucking bananas. Uh, it's not even a 959, which is almost, like, a little bit too tame in some right. way. Although I love it. Uh, it really is exotic, but completely manageable. And it's a BMW. I, f- I feel like it was the sort of the NSX before the NSX. Yeah. You know how people always talk about, oh, the NSX the first, the first. Yeah. Yeah. I think the M1 was that car. I completely agree. I completely agree. And that that car is so easy to just drive around town and and get in and out of, not like your XJ220. Um, But (laughs) I I mean, you will be featured on friends getting out of the 220. So so Price texted me, he's like, whatever you do, do not let film uh, (laughs) film, uh, film, film that. Um, So the the M1 is just a really, it's a really compelling car because I've I've wanted, you know, an air quote supercar. But I'm not an F40 guy, and I, I couldn't afford it. And the 959 also is kind of getting up there. And the, the M1 to me is is a real supercar that is so weird. That like, how is this a BMW? Like, it just should not be a BMW. But right. by the fact that it is, it's a little bit. It's not a Ferrari, even though you know it's a Lamborghini design, obviously, or or Pintel design. Right, exactly. Um, but you know, it's one of those cars that I just wanted. But they're, they're so hard to find. There were only 450 made. Sure. Uh, and so many of them have been just destroyed over the years because they weren't that expensive. Like when you bought yours, like do you remember how much you paid? I do. Was it a lot or a little? <laughs> well, that's a contextual thing. <laughs> Let's just... Compared to Let... like, I don't know, how many watermelons could you get for it? <laughs> then, uh, 
I mean, let's say it's it was like the high. Uh, it was mid, like one sixty five ish. Not to give it. Not to give a precise number. One sixty five. Ninety nine, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was you know they were, and and that was considered. I, I mean, I remember when they were low hundreds. Right, they were. I mean, yeah, they it, were. It's it's not like it's not a Ferrari. It's not a Porsche. It's just a weird thing. And like BMW guys tend to tap, you know, can kind of tap out at a certain number, you know, minus the five hundred seven and some very very right. you know special stuff like that. And so the, the average BMW guy is not ascending to buy an M one or a five hundred seven. This is this is a Ferrari buyer. This is a, like a very sure. high end nine eleven buyer. Um, and they are just really special things. Uh, and so I've been looking since I drove your car. But again, like me being me, like I'm a pretty conservative guy. I didn't want red or orange, which most of them are. Thanks a lot. <laughs> what color is yours again? <laughs> orange. Well, original paint or no? Yeah. It is original paint. You know what, though? You know what kills me? Because I, I actually think the first – wait, OK. Sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Please. Well, the first – when I went down, I had gone down to buy a Mangusta. And the guy and I drove it for two minutes. Thought this is the worst fucking car I've ever driven in my entire <laughs> life. I'd rather eat my own balls than drive this car any further. Sure. So then, I, as one does, so then I, he had a, two M ones. He had a black one, mm. of which there are like three. I know. And he had a blue one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and he, I can't remember what he was asking for the black one. But oh, that's crazy. Spend that much money for just a you know black color, one. Yeah. So I drove the blue one. Changed my mind. Couldn't agree on a deal, and I end up with an orange one. Mm-hmm. But the blue one, I think that this the blue. White and then there's a couple in gray. I think there's there's two or three in gray. Those colors yeah. are the best. Yeah. So you found a blue so one. I, I found a blue one. Uh, I, I I had always repainted on spinners. <laughs> exactly. Ground effects. <laughs> Subwoofer. You done? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But wait, there's more. Yeah. So you know, blue was always the color that I. I mean, had I found a gray one or a black one, like those sell for multiples on normal M1. So sure. like that's kind of out of the question. Uh, so I found a blue car that was owned by. Uh, <laughs> See, should, should we tell the whole story? You should tell the whole story, okay. man. Wait, do you want to guess who? It, you already know. Who I it know is? who it is. Do, do you want to guess who it is? It's a mu- John. It, it, oh, pretty close. It's a musician. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's my only guess. Okay. Oh. So we're, we're done with the guessing. Uh, it was owned by a guy named Roger Waters from Pink Floyd. Oh. He was in the pub band, minor, small garage band minor, Pink Floyd. Minor character. Yeah. Right. right. So through through a, a good friend of both of ours, uh, I ended up coming in contact with Roger. And Roger ended up being just like this amazingly nice guy who bought the car new in 1980. He basically – the story is the wall had done really well. And somebody said it was better than a Ferrari. So he said, fuck it. I'm going to buy an M1. And that's that's the story. But he's it wasn't not... actually better than Ferrari, financially speaking. <laughs> Correct, yes, yes. Um, but he's not a car guy at all. Like he, It wasn't like something he was really proud of. It wasn't like Nick Mason, his bandmate who has every fucking car under the sun. It was just a car. And he's just like, yeah, like I, you know, I was busy in the 80s. I drove it when I could. Whatever. Uh, and so he owned this car since new and maintained it. You know, He was obviously very successful even back then. So he had a family office and he had a guy to look after it. So this car has uh, about 10,000 kilometers on it since new. But it's been maintained the entire time. Uh, so it's a completely original car. Uh, he it, it lived its life in the UK at his house. And I mean, it looks from the pictures he sent me, man. It mint. looks new. It's, it's just it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and so he shipped the car into he lives in the Hamptons into the US this year, this summer to sell it with the idea of selling it. But he didn't want to deal with the auctions or the, the nonsense. He just wanted to find a guy that that was easy and, and painless. And that ended up being me you with a guy. Yeah, exactly. Guy. Um, and, you know, he he bought the car when he was 39. I'm 39. He liked that. And it was just one of those things where it just – it was like – You was, like music. He likes music. Yeah, we both yeah. like music. Yeah, yeah, you're an amazing yeah. – is he a guitarist? I don't even know. Uh, bass player and yeah. guitarist. Yeah. So, so you have that in common. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, world-renowned. Um, <laughs> and so we just ended up doing a deal, and I'm, I'm proud to say I, I have the car now. So, so when is it ready? 
So it's in the shop right now. We just have to replace all the rubber bits. Right. Um, but I think this spring, for sure, very soon. I'm 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 ec- ecstatic. Over I mean this. that that car is just so enjoyable to drive. Like it's the amazing. Thing, you know, the, I don't know. Like the I mean I I I kind of the, the sad thing about me is I have no kind of driving ability, no mechanical Same. knowledge. Clear. Yeah, but I but I but but to me when I drove that car, the the way it drove, the the chassis, the suspension, the way it just handled itself, the way it was kind of forgiving but really exciting, all of those things. Right. And as you say, it's super easy. It is. And I think like the, the cars that I tend to be drawn to are the cars that you can you can just drive around and go get milk, you know, uh, you know, upstate or whatever. Like and the SJ220. Just like that. You know? Um, but when you step on it, it really they really explode. And so my, my 67S is completely docile, you know, below 4000 RPMs, but Right. But above that, it's it's a race car, and similar with with the M1, even similar with with the with the Ferrari, these cars are really very tame and almost kind of dull below, you know, I'd say four thousand right. RPMs. But that's great because then I can actually use them, you know. Right. Uh, and the M1 is exactly that. So yes, it it'll be ready very soon. Uh, I'm pretty pretty excited. And I know you and I have have goofed around about like the idea of like just cruising around neighborhoods with two M1s. I mean that back. we should do that because Absolutely. it would be just amazing. People would lose their mind, especially if you do it in mind. the city, because then people ask you why you painted your DeLorean <laughs> the way that I get asked by cab drivers. Which <laughs> mine around the city. That's too funny. So um, you've got the M1, yeah, all original, untouched. You've got the 330. Yeah. All, you've got the Alpha uh, SZ, yeah, which is glorious. Oh, you've got that shit. You've got the bloody Porsche Zagato, yes, which is glorious. That's a neat thing. That's very cool. With the what? He's got. He's, you sure. know, so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, are we not supposed to know? No, 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 no. it's fine. It was, it was in the Wall Street Journal. So yeah. it's a. Uh, but other than no one, read, other no than one reads that anymore. <laughs> Come on. So it, it's a car. You know, I had become really interested in, in Zagato cars, and I used to have a Ferrari 456, it was like the least expensive V12 Ferrari you could buy. And I was in Basel, Switzerland, where they do the big watch shows every year. And Zagato had an exhibition at a museum there. And I just sent a note and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be there. Would love to see the exhibition. And they sent somebody from Milan to meet me to give me the tour. And my big idea was to take a 456 and have it rebodied by Zagato. It's a good oh, idea. Oh, I didn't know that yeah. was an idea. Present day. That's genius. And, and they were just like, look, like, it's really difficult to deal with Ferrari. They're, they're a whole fucking thing. And it would cost you like a million euros. Like, do you want to pay that? And I was like, I can't pay that. Uh, what? Believe it or not. Um, and <laughs> so they the change bowl, man. <laughs> by the door. <laughs> exactly. They said, however, we, we know you love Zagato. We know you love Porsche. We're doing this, this program and there's, there are two cars left in it. It's called the, the Sanction Lost. It was this idea of doing a 356 Zagato body in period 1959. They found a design that they made actually on September 11th, 1959, but they never made it. Uh, and so they said, we're going to, we have the drawings. We're going to make nine of these cars based on a 356B. Would you love one? Uh, and I said, of, of course, you know, after we kind of, you know, dealt with the financials of it. And so what's really neat is like as, as I started this conversation, you know, just 20 minutes ago, I love the idea of coach-built cars. But the idea of having a coach-built car made today for me to my specifications is just amazing. And so that, that's why I did it. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, that are really deep into cars say, oh, it's a, it's a recreation or whatever. But it's not. You know, there, there was no such well, thing. Well, no there's no re-part of Correct. it. Correct. Right. Because it was never created it, in the first It was first never place. created. So this is, this is kind of like the missing link between a Speedster and a GTL, the Abarth GTL. It's, it's almost like a baby GTL. It is so beautiful and, and just so special. And I think of all the cars that I have, that's the one that will probably keep the longest, even though it's kind of like this bastard weird thing. No, well, because well, it's a thing made for you. Correct. It, and it was it's, made but, it's also, but the glory of that, man, is it's a thing made for you, but it's not like 
you went to Lamborghini and specced, you know, no. leopard skin seats. It's Correct. This, it's this thing made for you of from this time period where those things were exquisite and it's Absolutely. got this beautiful design. But it's, oh, it's a fantastic thing. It it, it is, and it, it's it's weirdly one of the one of the things that I own that I'm most proud of because it really it represents me in such a great way. And again, like Porsche, like you know, nobody here would deny like how great they are at making cars that are very usable. Like that car starts up every time without question. Like. No issues, right. you know, and better than a 911. You know, the four-cylinder, basically Volkswagen engine just kicks right up. Right. But you have this beautiful- And it sounds insane. It sounds, it sounds insane. so it, good. It sounds insane, yeah. We have a Sebring exhaust on it. it it's wild. But are you going to do an exhaust on the- You know I'm a big fan of the exhaust change. Are you going to do that for the BEM one I, or are you not sure? I'm going to wait. I want to- I wanna, So you, we talked about the the velocity stacks and if you take the airbox off. Right. You know about this? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to do that first to okay. see if, if that gives me Non-invasive. Yeah, non-invasive. Exactly. <laughs> and I can just put it right back on. Right. Um, I would be reluctant because because I think it sounds pretty good right now. Um, I mean, it sounds good when it's on cam. Correct. But when it's off cam, it's just kind of like, you know. It's I, a, I get it. But, but at the same time, like, I want to use this car to go out to dinner and, like, go get milk and, and like, use it as a very normal you don't thing. Wanna, you don't want all the diners to hear you come. <laughs> well, I, I remember following you in your M1 and I was in something else. I think my GT3. And flames were coming out the back, but, like, <laughs> but right. like not just like a burst. They were like it was like a full on stream of, of fire. <laughs> full out the barbecue, back of exactly. full barbecue. Exactly. I was like, is that supposed to be that way? And I don't think it's. It <laughs> That's is. factory. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I probably will leave it. You know, stock. It's for probably now. safe to say I have. I'm a. I'm a touch more hooligan. A little bit. But. A little but, bit. but I mean, that's one of the, what the thing I always. I always feel like I change immediately. Every single car, I want it to sound. And it's so interesting how if you think about cars. In the '90s and even in the two, in the '80s, they never considered sound design. Correct, which is fascinating. Like yeah. the Shamal sounds like a Civic until I straight piped <laughs> right. it, when then it sounds and, discernibly better. And meanwhile, better. now BMW is piping in artificial That's right. sound. Yeah. It's fascinating yeah. how they've sort of come around yeah. to this, this idea of designing sound where they paid no attention yeah. to it for years. Yeah. I mean, if it had a good sound, it was entirely accidental. Yeah. I think the most egregious kind of offender in that in that capacity is the 456 Ferrari. That is yes. a V12 Ferrari. Yeah. It sounds like a Civic. I mean, I know. Really, I remember driving crazy. yours, and yeah. it was kind of. I was. It was like a full testicular implosion, <laughs> not in the good way. But it's, not, yeah, it's in a, a bad way. Yeah, it's a two plus two grand touring situation. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So comfort is. Well, you're right. You're right that they wouldn't want to make it all brappy because you're going to put like your old lady in the back seat. Correct. And your old lady yeah. <laughs> was this the 1950s. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying. Give me a ham sandwich. Yeah. yeah I'm going down to Broadway to pick up some dames. That's, what I'm, that's, <laughs> that's right. But I mean, so so that was the one instance where I did put on a Novatec exhaust and it changed the car completely. Right. Uh, I still wasn't in love with that car, and I ended up selling it when I got a GT3 Touring. Why didn't? Why did you not? Uh... I don't know. It was the the idea, even though it was a very elegant, and I think it's one of the most beautiful Ferraris of the past thirty I'm years. I'm with you all the way on that. It just it just didn't excite me that way. And then when I got an allocation for the GT3 Touring, I was like, I don't need two modern-ish GT style cars. And the GT3 Touring is, I think, the best car as a driver. You still have that? No, I sold it. Right. Uh, th- I mean, this was a Tragic mistake. About a year ago right now, that I bought it new from a Porsche dealer. Right. He said, oh, I'll, I'll give you what you paid for it, like cash tomorrow. We'll pay, we'll send a truck. It'll be there in 24 <laughs> hours. That car is worth like three and a half times what I sold it for right. now. Uh, but live and learn. It right. is what it is. But I remember. It's car. funny because I remember we what, what was I driving uh, that we, we switched cars? I was driving something and then you said I'll, I drove your 456 and you drove something else. Some, uh, maybe the Dino? Your little Fiat Dino that you had? The Spider? Yeah. Maybe that might but predate I, that. But, but I remember, but I remember feeling the same thing that you did, which was it felt weirdly. You know what it was? I didn't really feel connected. Yeah, 
Like it felt a little like I was floating in that car. It's, I mean, the, from a suspension, which is probably what it's designed. It for. is. It, I mean, it was. I mean, as you said, it was supposed to be a, it, and it is a real GT. Like you can, I, I've put full grown adults in the back of that car, and like they're happy. You know, fully fully grown, <laughs> just a few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, th- that car, as, as you suggested, is intended to be comfortable, but still, you buy a V twelve Ferrari, like you wanna you wanna hear something, right? Uh, and the three thirty GTC, which has a stock exhaust on, like you really do hear it, right? So I w- remember I was I was thinking about I was thinking about you the other day as I do often, often yeah, usually yeah. in the shower <laughs> with the loofah, but in this instance not. So about a year ago, I called you up and said I'm going to go and look at a. <laughs> Are you taking a selfie? No, it's, it's a picture of you. Oh, yeah. from my from my uh, scrapbook. Uh, for you, I took I called you up and said I'm going to go and see um, Jaguar XJ220. Do you want to come with me? Yes, I, I was there for that, <laughs> and I still remember. So it was probably 20 degrees, um, and I and the you know what? The, I, can I interject? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a year ago this week. Oh, you're right. I'm I think you're sure right. I think you're right. So so it was 20 degree weather, super cold. We show up. The car's there. Yes. Um, it's on original tires. I think it was correct, or at least 20 year or old 20 year old tires, tires. Yeah, race tires. So I go for a drive in it. I drive. Uh, uh, Tom takes me for a drive in it. Then I then I drive for about ten minutes. I mean, no more than ten minutes because right. I found the. And then you, I say, we put get come back. I yeah. say, Ben, you get in it. Mm-hmm. You drive. <laughs> Terrifying. Wait, who's Tom? Tom is the Tom Hale is the guy who sold me the car. Who now has a, another business, but he's the loveliest person alive, and he knows endless amounts about cars. So he he got me this. He sold me the two twenty. But so. Well, actually, when we were on the test drive, I said, oh, look, there's a, this is the kind of person he is. When we were on the test drive, I said, oh, there's a Burger King. We should go through the drive-thru. And he said, yeah, why not? Yeah. So we go through the drive-thru in the 220, which is kind of fantastic. But then you got in the car and I you did. drove it. I did. Terrifying. Truly terrifying. And like, you know, I, look, I, like you, I'm no Mario Andretti. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just right. like, I love this for the fun of it, you know? Right. It was it was one of the scariest things I've, I've I've driven, mostly because it was probably twenty degrees or colder. These tires were bald, effectively. Yeah. And th- this car hadn't been serviced in how long? A long time. A long time, right? Yeah. It's like, and like, to be clear, this is like a very expensive car that neither of us owned. Right. And it was just like this is a high risk situation here. <laughs> so what what was did you find the did you find the driving experience terrifying? Well, once I once I got it into like third or fourth year, I, I felt okay. Um, right. But it's just so big. It's so big. I've never driven a car that, that, that long before. Time. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, te- I'll tell you what, though, which is funny, is that when you, at least for me, because I in the interim of the, the ten months, it's been getting you know restored, whatever it is. Um, I sort of built up the two twenty to be this utterly terrifying thing. Right in my mind, too big, too unwieldy, too you know, I don't know, like just. All these things, and I was so it got to the point where finally, when he called me to tell me to get it, I sort of put it off by like a week or two because I was like, "Oh shit!" I, you know, <laughs> I don't really know. I, yeah. I was I was really afraid that when you when you have a car that's that expensive, there's nothing worse than realizing you don't like it. I'll say because <laughs> it's a. I mean, I want to yeah. ask you about that in yeah. a second. So I went up there finally, and I got in the car, and I just was sort of. And he said, so "Let's just go around town." And after about five minutes, it didn't feel too big at all. Right. It just. It was actually really. It's kind of easy to drive, but it's very. It's incredibly old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Not in the way that old fashioned, old vintage cars are old fashioned. It's, right. a, it's a peculiar kind of old fashioned because it's quite brutal, but it's also easy and comfortable. Right. That, that, that's a V twelve, right? <laughs> v twelve four wheel drive yeah. scissor doors. <laughs> yeah, it's no, amazing. It, it, it's an amazing car, and I, I think 
you know, you, you and I joke all the time about like your influence on social media, which is real and I like massive. It, I mean, in some ways, it it, it is. Which but... ways? Can you <laughs> why do you just point to one way in which this fictitious no. influence is real? Well, I mean, for, first of all, the Shamal is having a moment right now. It is I, actually. I can't tell you how many people keep sending me articles how about. Many? Tell me how four. many. Yeah. Four <laughs> I can't a, believe how many uh, writers you paid <laughs> to write a, about that I'll, car. I'll do the Trump method. A lot of people tell me <laughs> the Shamal is a great car. Uh, no, four different articles in the last two weeks have been forwarded about the Shamal. So it's, it's kind of gratifying to see that mm -hmm. get some recognition. I was going to ask you something, we, uh, but I've now forgotten. Well, that was about buying a very expensive car oh, and, not and then having it. a lot yeah. of regret. Yeah. Have, I mean, have you, ever, have, you, have you ever had anything and then you – the, the the 456, you know, not, not to keep kind of harping on that, would be the one that was like, oh, man, like, I mean, like, I, you know, as, as a, I was the, the child of two teachers, like growing up, like the idea of owning a Ferrari was just insane to me. And sure. so when I finally bought that car and it wasn't a crazy amount of money, like I really expected it to be like revelatory. Right. And it just wasn't. It was just like, this is a cool car. When you when you really push it, it really was explosive, but it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it would be. And then in another way, the GT3 Touring, which, as I, I described, is probably the best driving car I've ever owned or, or driven. It was too much. And so, like, that car is amazing for bombing at 140 miles an hour down some road in the middle of nowhere. But where I live, like, I can't use half the power. It's got I 500 don't, horsepower. I don't, I don't want anything really with more than 300 horsepower. What does the Jaguar have? 540. <laughs> what about the Shamal? Yeah. Shamal's, oh, uh, shit. The what Shemal's, about the M1? The M1's 286. Yeah, 280. Okay. Oh, knock, the Shamal yeah. is actually 326 That's well, good. In, in period. I mean, yeah. who knows what, is, what it has now. Yeah. But you don't need to have, like, I've never understood the need for the massive horsepower situation because it does, it does no one any good. You can't use any of it. It's, Correct. It's just, a, and, al and also it becomes, for me at least, because I'm so geezery, it becomes very terrifying very quickly it does it does and i, I think like if, I, if somebody said you had to buy a new porsche sports car today it probably wouldn't even be a 911 it would probably be like a cayman right you know th those those cars are spectacular and it's got power you can use and they're just fun and they're half the price and like you know nobody cares about them you don't get the attention which is a good thing for me uh i think they're great cars you're very showy <laughs> extremely you're showy, very flashy yeah. man <laughs> i mean that's the that's the that's the funny thing about about both cars and watches is that you can never um you can't try these things, and often you don't can't even see them. I mean, I've bought so many cars Absolutely. that I've never seen before, and mm -hmm. I've certainly never driven before. Yeah, and then and then so it's this kind of terrible. This is some, this is such a massive sort of one percent complaint, <laughs> but it's this terrible t fear that when the thing arrives, you're going to go, oh shit, this was a mistake. Yeah, especially if it's a lot of money. Yeah, well, I, I can say so. I, I bought the Ferrari with 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 its engine out. With nothing functional on the car, and I, I had it kind of cleaned up in Italy, and then I went over there last September to so drive it. So were you worried that it wasn't going to be... Well, I mean, the, the 330 GTC is a weird car because, like, the 330 GTs are real Grand Tours, and, like, they're, they're right. not nimble at all. The, the GTC has the same chassis and transmission as the 275, which is a great place to begin, but, like, nobody really speaks of them as sports cars, you sure. know? Um, and so when I got in, I, I flew into Rome, and we finally got out of the traffic of Rome to really open it up. Around Rome, it, like, it really was oh, not... Oh, wait, exciting. hang on. You were in the... 3.30 in traffic in Rome? Correct. The first so, drive was in traffic oh my, in Rome. Yeah, that's yeah. the first time you ever drove it? Correct, yes. So were you just, I mean... Terrified. <laughs> Absolutely we're terrified. We're just only looking at the temp gauge. Yes. Yes. Only. Like, you didn't care about... You could. <laughs> so, so traffic in Rome, I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure 
probably both of you know, is is significantly worse than anything in New York or anything that exists in the country because right. it's Italian, first of right. all. And like it's that that city is just not set up for modern day traffic. Sure. Uh, and so everyone said you have to leave early, otherwise, like this car will just explode, basically. <laughs> so we left at like seven a.m. and it, right. it was it was okay getting out, but like I didn't get out of third gear until we hit the highway, you know, out, outside of Rome. But with with the, the temps were all fine. It was fine. It was fine. That's amazing. Yeah. That that car didn't not start once. The that the entire thousand miles I drove it around Italy when when I picked it up. That car is is automatic. I've it, got it really I, I've is. got to say, man, that seems to me like the best possible way to experience a car for the first time. I mean, you pick. It, I mean, it's a dream. Yeah. Like you pick it up in Rome, yeah. and you drive it around Italy for yeah. how long? Uh, for about five days. So, and the, the car. And were you with car at the time? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's um, glorious. So man. that car lived in Rome from 1970 until it's got still got the Roman plates on it, and it right. was it was still registered to the previous owner. We just cut kind of like a, a deal where like we'd got because basically like I wouldn't be allowed to register it because I didn't own it yet. There's a whole right. thing. So it had the original Roman plates driving around Rome. We went up to Tuscany. We went to man. I mean that must have been like being with Elvis. <laughs> It was wild. Was it? Not, I mean, people must just like streaming out of they, their houses. They, to... Honestly, they, they were. I mean, it was a little embarrassing to be honest with you. But the thing is, like, Italians are so proud of Ferrari. Right. I mean, really, like, na- genuine national pride for this car. It's not like in the U.S. where you see a guy in a Ferrari, like, oh fuck you, like, who is right. this guy? In Italy, they are genuinely proud that this company comes from from their home country. So everywhere we went, it was just like people were pouring over it, just loving it. They wanted to know everything about it. It was really, it was extremely charming. It really was. That's oh, I, I can't. I I mean. Well, look, I, I've never, I've never really owned all the cars I've ever owned have been, I've, I've been in, in the states while I've owned them. But I've never the idea of kind of picking up a car like that in Italy and then yeah. doing a drive like that, especially with like someone you love with you in the car. And yeah. so, I, I just that's glorious. I, I I can't say enough good things about that. And then similarly, you know, a trip that that we went on together many years ago was Copper State One Thousand. Just right. the idea of doing like structured long distance driving in an old car away from your your home is is just magical i mean well it's there is amazing. something amazing i mean uh were you you did the one with it was i in the stratos, stratos yeah. and what were you in 356 yeah that's yeah. right there's something amazing about like being in a in a hotel and then you walk uh, walk out into the parking lot and you see your stratos mm-hmm. just parked in the parking lot and then you turn the key and it starts yeah, and you and get in you and you start driving yeah. and, and park next to it is a gull wing and yeah, besides yeah. that is a speedster yeah, exactly like, this is what this is what you want life to be like all the time right now right. it, it's I, I can't say enough good things about copper state and, and the, the idea of like structured drives in general like it just allows you to see amazing things i went to the grand canyon in the flaminia i mean like, think about that like see you yeah copper state the uh, a few years later oh, went right. north okay okay um it's just it's just amazing what an amazing way to well, see this country. Also, because there's something really lovely about driving. The, the cars have become so kind of rarefied and precious and, and kind of hands-off in the, in the way in which we treat them. Yeah. But there's something glorious about it is this thing that's extraordinary and beautiful, but it's also a thing I'm just using. Like, get in it, I pull in somewhere, have yeah. lunch, go back to the parking lot, turn the engine yeah. Go off somewhere else. And that that kind of the, the mundanity of that makes the thing more beautiful. It, I think it, it does, and I think it also like you know the, the a, a very common comment on Houdinki in our comment section is just rabbit. It's it's, it's wild. <laughs> right. You know, is that like if if there's a watch that the, this commenter can't afford, they assume that that person just puts it in a safe and never wears it. Meanwhile, like the greatest collectors I know in the world, the guys that have say a thirty million dollar <laughs> Phil Toledano, <laughs> you know, let's say multi million dollar collection, like they're wearing these watches every day. Right. And similarly on the Copper State or anything like it, you see five million dollar Ferraris being pushed right and it's 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 really common practice to to do that you just have to be comfortable with it i was having a discussion the other day with someone because he was we were talking i can't remember somebody famous 
Someone very famous. I was, I was talking famous, to Elton yeah. John. We were just texting <laughs> about cars, as one does. Nice. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he has an Android, probably, so it's green, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's unfortunate. Yeah, he has his assistant texting, but it's but he's telling the assistant what to tell me. Um, and we were talking about the idea of people who collect super low mileage cars and yeah. then don't drive them. I know, uh, and and it's uh, you know. It's hard when you're a person who likes to drive the cars not to look upon those people with a certain level of disdain. But then he was making a point that, and I, I, I can't really disagree with it, that everyone collects for different reasons, Correct. right? I mean, I, have, I admire the person who has a tuna car is, has this, just the same love and passion for cars as we do. It's just a different kind of different budget, thing. different kind of upbringing, different kind of aesthetic value. <laughs> so, but it is hard to, when you see cars that have so little mileage and they're not driven it's tough not to sort of be slightly yeah. judgy about it uh, and and i am certainly in that camp and like i do love low mileage ish original cars but like it's about finding that sweet spot where like you can still feel good about driving it but i do think there is a place for people that are out there to preserve right, right. because like they're not making any more original so-and-sos and, and th there's a, a great watch collector i know named jason singer actually in arizona he has old <laughs> 964s with delivery miles correct yeah that's so, right i mean he is that guy and so he buys new old stock everything it could be the most insane significant reference of a, of a Rolex or Patek, but if right. it's dead stock with box and papers, he'll buy it and I'll just put it away. And he and I've asked him about it at length and he just said, I want to preserve history. I want people to know what these things look like out of the factory and therefore I'm going to do this. Well, you see, that's interesting because I've never heard that point of view. I just assumed it was some strange, like sort of low mileage fetish. But you're right. There is value <laughs> yeah. in that idea because it's kind of cool to see things as they were because everything has been touched at yeah. this point for the most part. But that part. requires them to be able to be seen. True. Well, yeah, you're right. Like, is he opening a museum? Uh, well, he did talking watches with me, uh, which is kind of like that. But you know, I mean, I think the idea of like a reference grade watch or reference grade car is 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 interesting to me because like if let's say you know your your Jag needed a restoration, like you would want. To, isn't there a car out there that has like 15 miles? I think Canopa has it, right? A 220. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, think most is. of those 220s have. Very Such, low miles. Yeah. But I, I think Bruce Canapa has like a fi literal 15-mile car. Right. And let's say you needed to restore your car and you didn't know what the upholstery should look like. Like sure. you go to that car, you could see that. So th right. there is value in that for sure. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's talk a little bit about watches. Then. Sure. I know. You know what? You, let's, I just – for everyone who can't see, Ben has this Ura sleep <laughs> ring. Now he made me – It's a, it tracks your sleep habits. He made me get one. I made you he get made one. He made me yes, get I one against my will. Yeah. He coerced yeah. me. He said it was going to be out of the will if I didn't get one. <laughs> I got one. And then what happened for the next like two months? You'd be like – you text me. You text me screenshots of your incredible sleep scores. That's what I do. I'm a yeah. great sleeper. And yeah. then and my, my sleep score was shit every yeah. time. Yeah. And you'd be like, yeah, look, I got a 96. And I go, oh, I got a 43. <laughs> and so I had to get rid of it because it maybe i had sleep rage <laughs> the, the aura ring and, and i mean i'm not an investor i'm not paid like i really believe this is could be a life-changing device for so many people really sleep is the final frontier of healthcare it really is and i think like if All you right, captain Cook, <laughs> we, we won't spend too much time on this i promise but like the days that i have a glass of wine or two whatever before sure. i go to bed and the days where i go to bed early in a cold environment whatever i wake up the next day feeling so much different and like this just allows me to track that and so it allows me to kind of fine-tune how i live my life yeah uh, but how do you but the thing is though like uh, what do you do with the data like all that data told me when i had that bloody ring was i was a miserable sleeper which i knew that i've known well, that for years so wait it, who owns that data uh that's a good question ben does yeah i do exactly. he owns all my sleep data <laughs> I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I would imagine that there's some privacy thing there. Um, but for what, what I use it for is like if I get below an 80, 
I want to say, okay, what what did I do yesterday that like didn't feel good to me? Did I go out? Did I stay up too late? Did I have a if fucking... I take Molly and go <laughs> rave? Maybe it was that. Probably yeah. not. <laughs> but it, it really has allowed me to be as somebody that like is at sometimes like shockingly busy and like I'm really trying to do so much. I just want to know that I'm like operating the best I can, and like I'm not working out a lot, obviously. But like this what? is <laughs> this is one way to be like a slightly better version of myself, right? Is there is there any need? I mean, I thought you were always peak best version of <laughs> oh, Ben Climb. I'm trying. I remember a few, I don't know, maybe a year ago or something, we were talking, um, and you said, I said, you know, I said, are you selling any watches and stuff? And you said to me that you were just only going for modern stuff. And yeah, I, of course, true. and I, of course, and I was like, ah, oh, that's bullshit. Of course, what do you know? What do you know? <laughs> Hodinky found a guy. <laughs> um, and you were completely right yeah, about the every way. Every now and then. <laughs> About the way that – did you know then that the market was taking this swing or was just – No. I, I mean I, I don't know anything but I can see stuff and I can see – I see the sentiment in our comments and I see what, what I'm myself interested in. And look, I, I'm, I'm wearing a modern watch today but I still love vintage watches. And if you show me a great 6263 box papers or 6240, like I would be excited by that. What, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> you and Rihanna, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. She – I mean, you know. I know. We, no, I know. We talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. So just so people that aren't watching know, what did you just point at? So I have a, I have a Rolex. Well, this is not a, this is a, a Midas Cellini uh, from the 70s. And Rihanna was just a, a few months, about a month ago or something. She was photographed wearing a version of this watch. Um, and so someone, so, so now it's become some of a, a source of comedy, of course. Indeed. Indeed. But so I found that staggering that, because um, I, I, I have no, it's funny. I, I, I'm like I can see the beauty of the modern stuff. Like I look at FP Jean and I keep I keep trying to persuade myself that FP I, I can't persuade myself into liking them. Like I look okay. at FP Jean and I can totally see the cohesive design, the aesthetic thing that he's created that runs across all the watches mm -hmm. and the craftsmanship, all that stuff. But it doesn't do anything for me. And and I and the, uh, I find a lot of modern stuff I can't wear modern things for some reason why it reminds me of my mortality <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it, it, it's it and this is so stupid and so dumb and so cliche but i feel i like the i like the sense of history that old things have acquired yeah i i, I completely get that and the cars that i lust for the most are old cars and at the end of the day most <clears> of the <throat> watches that i think are the most beautiful and most special as objects are vintage no question about it but my collecting has changed from you know when i was starting Hodinkee into when it was becoming, you know, whatever it is now, I wanted to experience everything and I wanted to own everything. And right. that meant just amassing a collection. And then I was like, you know what, I've, I've kind of done that. And now all I want are watches that mean something to me. Right. Sincerely. And like the reason that I'll keep the 356 above all the other cars is because that car means something to me. It so, was designed by me. So how does that work in the context of modern watches? Do you buy one when something great happens? Sometimes. Sometimes. To celebrate or, or... our friendship. 2015, <laughs> you bought a watch. Exactly. Um, you bought an Hublot Big Bang to celebrate <laughs> our friendship. The, the, the idea is that – some look, sometimes it is like a moment in time and sometimes it is just relationships I have with people. Like right. the, the CEO of A. Langenson is, is a genuinely good friend of mine and I think he makes the best watches in the world. Truly. And so when he does something special, I, I would love to, to have one of those. Um, you know, when we do a big deal of work or whatever, there are moments for sure. Um, and to me, it's like those are the watches that will mean something to my future children, much more so than like the 2526 white that I've had for six years and I haven't worn in the past three because it's worth too much money now. Right. Uh, and so for me, it is it is that. But I think there are ways to get things that are really, really special that are modern. Like I, I got a Roger Smith. 
about a year ago. I ordered it five years ago, but got it last year, <laughs> right. genuinely. And like that is one guy. The market has been watch. has done incredible favors for you in the <laughs> last in like the five that. year yeah. waiting period. <laughs> Truly, and he's actually stopped taking orders on on new watches right. now. I think there are really special things still made today. And I think, again, of like the things that were around. Are you in... talking about the independence or are you yeah. talking about? Well, I mean, look, I, I think Lange, which is owned by Richemont, which is a publicly traded company, is is not independent. But I think they are making special things. I think right. a Rolex is special. I think Omega is special at times. Um, for, for me, it, it means a lot more. Like this is a, the 50 Fathoms that we design. Like this means something to me. Like I, I love the 50 Fathoms. This is our take on it. You've been doing some fantastic collaborations, Hodinkee has. I noticed you haven't bought any of them. I, you know what, man? It's so funny. Are you checking the customer like purchased it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're we're still, filter on, filter on, no filter. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because well, because it goes back to that thing of modern watches. I get it. But, but, but having said that, I do wish that I had bought that Resence because mm. I have this thing for Resence. I, uh, uh, you know what it is? I feel like I'm not a keen fan of modern watches, but I do like the idea of pieces that feel. I guess, I guess, I would say the independent. Stuff, but I get that because it feels, I guess, more like art in some way, and, and it is. And there's because be there's, there's more soul involved, I no guess, because there's because it's the the creator's hands are directly involved in making this thing. Yeah. So I guess that that. But also, I feel like I've sort of slightly missed the boat on a lot of those independent people. Um, although I am sorry, go on. No, please. I am. I, I'm part. I'm, I've joined. I think I told you this. I joined some indie WhatsApp group, <laughs> and and uh, chat, and and I'm sort of surprised at how much stuff. People seem very excited about. I find really terrible, and so I'm not sure if it's me or everyone else. Well, it's it's different. I mean, there, we've talked about this briefly, but there's so many really wonderfully made and designed watches. And from, when I say design, I don't mean aesthetics. I just mean like the engineering of it that are horrible looking. I mean, right. really horrendous. <laughs> right. You know? And a lot of those independents fall under that that yeah. that, that category. Um, it everyone's are into it for for different things, and it's like there are. I mean, the difference is let's take myself and Jack Forrester, right? Like I'm a watch collector. Like I care about collecting. I write about collecting and the culture of it. Jack writes about watch making. He right. has no idea what reference is more desirable than the, the other, and he doesn't pretend to. Right. He does know exactly how it's made, and he knows how it's finished and what a chamfer is different, you know, versus X, Y, and Z. And, like, we both love watches equally. And I think, like, that kind of defines what, what collecting of anything is. Like, these guys that buy the Irvirks and the MB&Fs, which are, like, incredibly made watches, but visually weird, um, <laughs> you know, they're into it for a very different reason than probably you yeah, and I Yeah, but I, I feel – but when but what's interesting – but when people disc- on, this, on this thread talk about those watches – they talk about them from an aesthetic point of view for the most part. Yeah. And that's the thing that eludes me is I look at them and I go, mm, I'm not sure aesthetically how that, how that works. How it resolves, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, like, I, feel like I feel like a lot of those things are sort of, they're sort of 70% designs. Like they're, they're 70% good and then the rest kind of falls off so it's not quite all there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like driving a Pagani, right? Like you understand why a Pagani is what it is. You understand why it's $3 million, why it's all carbon fiber and stuff right. hanging out. But like, and you realize that like that probably would bring you a lot of joy as a driver if you wanted to go really fast. But as an owner, it's like, I have to look at this thing every day, you know? And like, you can't appreciate the craftsmanship of all these brands, but yeah, you but still have to look thing, at but, but people, but that's the But that's the peculiar thing because people talk about Pagani's with this, this glowing adoration in terms of, you know, and I keep looking at it going, ah. Look, the typeface is from a Windows font from 87. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Like, what's happening with yeah. that thing? They, 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 I mean, I, I don't know them at all, but I would imagine they just care about performance above all else. I don't think that's, that's true at all, though. I feel that with Pagani in particular, the, the thing is, you can see, at least to me, it seems very clear that he pays attention to every single thing aesthetically. Except for? 
except for it doesn't look that great. <laughs> I mean, according to you. According to me. Right. And I know that look, I'm sure I'm in a minority. And there's plenty of people who like those things. I, 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 I don't think you are in the minority. I think you're in the majority. And I think the minority are the people that A, can afford it and B, find it visually you know, kind of compelling. Um, did you see the, the Gordon Murray, uh, the new uh, T33? Yes. That's an interesting car. Wait, is the T33 the... What's the one with the giant uh, fan in the back? That's the the T50. That's, okay, that's the 33 was much nicer looking. Much nicer. Yeah. I mean, that to me, like when I saw that, I was like, wow, if I could afford this, I would buy this car. Because, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be- because uh, that makes all other supercars look silly, right? Well, like, it does because it's it's an exercise in restraint. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. You're and exactly it, right. And it's a six-speed transmission. It's a two-seater, not a three-seater. Right. It's, like, it's a supercar that like it's all the horsepower. Like he could have pushed that thing out to a 1,000 horsepower. Sure. Certainly. Chose not to, you know. What, and is, I think, it, what, what is it? Like eight hundred or something? I think. Do you remember? I don't. It's a thousand less RPM though on that yes. Cosworth V twelve. Right. That part I remember. But but it, you're right though. Is it's actually that's actually a really interesting point because it's it's a it's a beautiful exercise in extreme. Because what I feel is that people there was this point in the last ten years where like. Do you remember like the Gumpert Apollo and like people just making and every Lamborghini new Lamborghini iteration just seems to be an exercise in adding more and more vents and scoops right. and wings and and making it more like the Batmobile no than the original. I mean, the yeah. original Batmobile looks tame compared to stuff that we it have does. now. It does. But, but I think what, what Gordon did with, with the T33 and like genuinely like when I, I spent more time than I've more time looking at that car than I spent on any other car in the past few years. And I really would have bought it if I could. And that car, to me, really does make all those supercars look silly because it's pure. It's a six-speed transmission. It's what you really, really want. It To me, it's the right. Roger Smith of modern supercars. Like, you're kind of done after that. And, like, for me, I have the Roger Smith. Like, I don't know that I need another time-only watch ever because I have the guy that, that like, you know, worked with the best watchmaker in the world, George Daniels, may make a watch by hand. And I think that is what I hope will lead to change at the big companies. Like, the fact that you can't buy a manual Ferrari today is... It's crazy. It's completely crazy. <laughs> right. And I think that has to change. And I think it actually might because we've seen the pickup rate of like the, all the GT3s now. I think it's like 70% of them are How are you going to make a manual electric? Well, that I don't know. <laughs> That's not my job. That's somebody I mean, else's problem. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's your problem. <laughs> That's Well, you know, I don't know if you know I'm developing a manual Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. I don't like to talk about it. I'm actually making – I think I've talked about this. I'm designing a watch with a friend of mine in Hong Kong right now. You have friends in Hong Kong? Well, one. <laughs> Two. And <laughs> what, a friend called? is loosely. <laughs> what's it called? I don't know. I was trying to think of that. We've been trying to think about what the brand name Should would be. Should we crowdsource it on Instagram? I'm all for it, man. But it's just – you know, it because everything – I think, like, I feel like the, I think you either have to have, I, I'm kind of in favor of having something that's a little, like an empty vessel that mm-hmm. doesn't mean something necessarily. It's just a thing. It's just a word. Yeah. Because I feel like often people choose names. I mean, MBNF is actually not a bad yeah. thing. Max or, Booster and Friends. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really love, what's he called? Like the legacy machine. Yeah. It sounds so H.G. Wellsy. Yeah, I don't know why. So our our first limited edition ever was Legacy Machine One Hundred and One. We did one in steel with a with a green dial. Did you? Yeah, it was our first LE ever. Oh, LE. Yeah, oh, that sense for limited yeah. edition. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been well. First of all, it's been very interesting designing a watch with. Sure. I mean, with with this with this guy. Is it blank slate? Like you're starting from from nothing? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll there's say, no foundation. There's no movement or anything. Oh like that. no, we we just started from scratch with the design. Got it. Um, but what we're doing is basically my whole thing is that I'm I'm been very interested in, as you may or may not know. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, but I'm very interested in 1970s stuff. There's uh, couches. I, I love mostly this. couches. <laughs> mostly couches, but occasional watches. Yeah. I feel like the 70s was this peak 
it was peak audacity for design. And Agreed. it's been kind of obscured by like the polyester flares, you know, open neck shirt mm -hmm. sort of vision. I find that actually very interesting. That's a larger point, how mythology obscures things. Sure. Do you know? I mean, that was that, that happened to the M1, actually. Yeah, absolutely. For, for a long time, it was kind of... It, um, what, what, do you remember what, what the mythology was for the M1? Well, it, it was designed to compete with, I think, the 935. I think it was Group 4. Yeah. And, and then, then by the time it was ready, it was too late. Correct. And Group 4 rules had changed, et cetera. And then they, they did the Pro Car Series because they had built all these cars and didn't really have anything to race, so they were just racing right. themselves. Right. Um, yeah. There was, and the, the, the Jag as well, the XJ220, you know, kind of got a bad rap there for a minute. Well, because it was launched as it was supposed to be ostensibly one thing, then it was then it was not that thing, and then and then there was the economic crisis yeah. of the early '90s, and then it kind of disappeared, and people hated it. Yeah, but I mean, th those are the things that are that are like you know, as as a one-time journalist, like those are the things that are compelling to me, like things that have stories, and like you know, an outright win is not that compelling. Something right. that like really struggled to kind of gain traction is is far more interesting to most people. Than, you know what else is like that? Tell me the shamal. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Allow me to elucidate, my friend. Well, because the show. <laughs> Hold on, I'm looking at the stock prices of Shamal's right now. Yeah. It's surging, man. It's surging. surging. Going up. What's that? Blue Endicott says. <laughs> so, well, because, okay, there's a car. I, I, fi I find it really interesting to kind of look past the obscuring mists of, of false mythology because right. th there was a car that got sort of lumped in. Maserati in the 80s was not, it wasn't the, the finest moment, right? And so it got lumped into the kind of the whole biturbo shittiness. Right. And it turns out that it's not that car at all. It's a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and I have to say, I mean, I keep saying this to people endlessly, but I feel like that's one of the nicest cars. Have you ever driven that car yet? I haven't driven it, but I've, uh, I've sat in it. <laughs> outside my office and you fell asleep immediately because yeah. it's so that comfortable but that was when bradley broke your cup holder break which he denies <laughs> <laughs> see that we got to a very we got to a tiff over that but you guys are good now everything's fine okay yeah until okay. he breaks something else and denies it <laughs> so uh i think uh how long is this how long we've we been blathering for oh for a good for a good minute but i have a question for you yeah. so Obviously, we know you wore the Midas watch in the hopes that Rihanna will see you on the street, <laughs> which I don't blame you. I mean, unless, yeah, I get it. I, I could try. You're going to have to co-parent with ASAP, but <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but wait, so t can you tell us more about the watch you have on today? Sure. Yep. So this is a 50 Fathoms we did. Uh, when did we do this? 2020, probably. 50 Fathoms, you know, arguably the archetypal kind of a modern dive watch, like a similar kind of uh, vintage to the Submariner. Really came out the same year. And in, in many ways, to me, is is equally compelling to to a sub. Um, and we this is our second project with them. And it was one of those things where we designed a, a 50 Fathoms with a case that currently existed in 2018 or so. And we really didn't know what to expect. But, I mean, blew it out of the water. Like, sold like 100 units in like eight minutes or something like that. And so we wanted to kind of anniversary it in a way with doing something that felt a little bit more in line with if I can be honest, like that project was kind of like thrown together in some way. And this project was something we really designed from the ground up with a brand new case, brand new dial, brand new hands, brand new bezel. Like it's a, it's a totally new watch. The movement's the same, obviously. Um, and so this is something that, that I just enjoy as somebody that was involved with the creation of it. Uh, and like a little bit different than, than Phil, like I love kind of working and problem solving with these mega brands, these giant brands that are so fucking painful to deal with. It's, it's I'm truly outrageous. Um, and figuring out a way to make it work. And then also beyond that, like validating this idea that like this little blog that I started, you know, 10, 14 years ago 
can sell. We sold 250 of these in, I think, six minutes at $15,000 each. And we probably have a waiting list of like a 1,000 people. And so it just changes this entire industry's idea of what the internet is. And there's a story that I've told elsewhere many, many times, but it's completely true. In 2000, we'll say nine or 10, I was meeting the CEO of one of the most famous luxury brands on, on the planet. <clears throat> he was an older guy. And the publicist said, oh, this guy's got a blog, whatever. And he told me... <laughs> Only fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he told me that he felt that the internet was for poor people. That, that is a direct What? Quote, I swear to God. This for was poor people? For poor people. He Does said, he no. know what internet speed costs? <laughs> in 2009, in Switzerland, this was actually in Paris, actually, you know, he just had no idea that people would be consuming his products, you know, some years later on our, on our sites and, and others. And, and like I, I can't blame him because like he he was probably born a millionaire. He died a millionaire. Like he just lived his his own little world. But what I think I'm most proud of with Odinki beyond the community is just like validating that like the internet and like there's a democratic world out there for luxury items. And like we are not a luxury watch platform at all. Like when people we almost had to fire a recruiter because he went out and said this is a luxury watch platform. I was like this isn't about luxury at all. This is about like enthusiasm. This is about caring about something. Um, and so you know the idea that we can convince a brand like Blancpain, which is owned by Swatch, which is you know one of the biggest groups in the world. Um, to do something like this is part of the fun. And I remember when we did our Leica collaboration, you know, we, we sold out those. It was like a $15,000 camera. Ted Gashu sent me a text. He's like, wow, dude, it took you three years to make a white camera. And I was like, you have no idea what it actually takes to get Leica to do anything, you know? Well, to do in particular a white camera. Yeah, I, it was actually gray, but yeah, we call it ish. Ghost, but, yeah. but wait, so you guys also did a camera. We did, yeah. So that's not a watch. It's not a watch. Interesting. Yeah, and we we kind you've of you've done some you've done some didn't you do the Mark Newsom? Uh, we didn't. Yeah, we did a, we did two things with Mark. We did a, a pen uh, where he did a pen for Mont Blanc that we we designed with him, and then we did an hourglass that Mark. What was Newsom that like designed. working with him? Because I'm a massive Newsom. For people he's who amazing. don't know, Mark Newsom is an amazing Australian industrial designer. He is. He's, he's, he well, he's done a lot of stuff, but he's he, uh, horologically speaking did the Icopod, which mm -hmm. I love. He did an Atmos for uh, Giger. Yeah, uh, and a few other things. Uh, the Apple Watch. I mean, he he did. You know, a good chunk of the Apple Watch as yeah. well. Uh, I mean, he's 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 part of the tribe. Like he he fully gets it, uh, and he is he's amazing to work. You know what's with. lovely about in part about Ho Hodinky, if I have to say something complimentary, <laughs> if I'm obliged to, is that you've kind of de democratized nerdy enthusiasm. Yeah. And that's glorious because I am a massive nerd. And the, the thing same. about nerd and yeah, as you as you are too. And the thing about nerdery is that it's it's kind of it means disappearing down specific wormholes attached to specific things like a watch yeah. or a car yeah. or a chair or whatever. It's and 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 I feel like that's a lot of what you guys have done. Yeah, I, I think that that is ultimately what I'm most proud of. And then like the, the last part of the sentence that you were just saying is like, and then connecting with people that share the similar type of type of passion. And I think that is what has made Hodinkee so successful. And like the videos that we did in the early days with John Mayer and Aziz Ansari, it's like these are genuinely cool, interesting people that also happen to be nerds about this. And then and, that- And like, Phil Toledano. We did do one with you. <laughs> oh my God, that. I like that. Oh, did we? I'm not sure. You I, I actually really did forget about that. <laughs> is uh, it still uploaded? I'm trying to forget about it. They, they've yeah. taken it down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They took it down. Uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of vitriolic yeah. commentary. <laughs> no, it's th this idea that like you know I grew up as a pretty like insular, quiet, conservative kid that like didn't really know how to express himself. And like had I seen a video of Aziz Ansari, who you know who I admire, say that I love this watch and I bought this watch for my parents the first time I sold at Madison Square Garden, I say you know what like okay my my feelings about watches are now validated because somebody that I respect does that. And I think we do do a good job with that. And I think we we will continue to for sure. I mean, a lot of the old school collectors are kind of mad that you brought that you brought the hobby out of the basement. Yeah, yeah, and it's and interesting because I've had so many conversations with 
people collecting for 30, 40 years, and they're kind of upset that it's been exposed to the light. Yeah, like it's, they, it's almost like they were roaches. And yeah. like, ah, what's ah? <laughs> it, it, it's gatekeeping, you know? It's this right, idea it that, like, that like, if, if it, like, this is mine and I'm, I'm keeping people it's away very, from it. It's very golemy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But meanwhile, like, the, the greatest collectors in the world, the John Goldbergers, who is actually our second or third talking watches ever, right? Like, he's embraced it full stop. And right. I, and there are so many other people like him that, that we haven't done videos. Well, that's that admirable. That just demonstrates an admirable elasticity of right. mind, which right. I've always, which I respect. I, I think, like, the, the old Rolex. school... <laughs> the Rolex. Uh, Rolex. No one says Rolex like John Goldberger. Oh, yeah. the, the, the old school guys that like complain about Hodinkee and sites like ours are, are remind me a lot of the Swiss guys that say the internet is for poor people. It's like they're right. just not like this is like this is reality. You know, it's like sure. get with it or not. And I think what we did a good job with with Hodinkee is like a lot of this culture existed on forums before, but that was really inward facing. And we said like let's broadcast it, like let's put it out there and let's let's get John Mayer to talk about a six two six three big red and fifty nine seventy G. But you didn't P. even mean to do that. No, that's what's, but this is what's so glorious about Hodinkee, man. I mean, it's kind of like just a toot my own horn, but like Viva Bastardo mm-hmm. was never intended to be a giant exercise in, in like a lifestyle brand. And that's what it is now? Giant? It's huge. I mean, LVMH <laughs> yeah. Yeah. calling me all the time. Can we have a part of the company? <laughs> but uh, what I mean, look, I know that I'm just a tiny, you know, no, no, no. It, but it is. It's a small, you know, Viva Bastardo is a small, tiny thing. For now. But it started... As a, it started just because it was from something I love, and yeah. and it became accidentally something much bigger than me, and yeah. and it's exactly the same with Hodinkee, and it's so it's. I find that that's the purest articulation of business in it, a way. It is. And, you know, not not to kind of get off the, the car and watch thing, but I started – I'm starting a, a golf business as well, which is whatever. But, like, we're starting from ground zero. And, like, I'm starting with a, a guy named Adam Scott who has won the Masters, like, professional golfer. And we were like, hey, should we pull all of our favors and get the press to talk about it? Should we get all the big LVMHs or whoever to invest in it? And we decided, you know what? Like, this needs to feel earnest. This needs to feel like it is mom and pop. Which it is, you know? Well, it's, again, it's a thing, it's coming from a thing you really love. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times, like, if we went out and launched what we're launching in, in, in a few weeks or a few months, and we got coverage all over the world, and we had 100,000 followers on day one, and Lady Gaga's talking about it, like, which she <laughs> she's is a, a watch ambassador. Well, she's a watch ambassador, which is crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, Tudor ambassador. Um, it just wouldn't feel genuine. And I think, like, we want to feel exactly what, what this product is based on which is exactly passion i almost feel like this is a whole i I wonder if this is a very common business model what's that like people like accidental success from a thing you love i think it happens i I don't think it's i don't think it's that common um you know and i think we would both admit like a lot of it is right place right time and knowing the right people um but it you know if if you love it then then obviously people are going to spend more time on it but it's hard man and like there were years where i didn't care about watches at all in fact i disliked watches you know i would say like 2016 through 18 for me was really i was just like i'm over it you know like i like i had given up too much of my own real life it's true actually i remember when i used to talk when i used to send you pictures of watches like it was so funny that actually was totally depressing i'd send you pictures of things i'd like you're like oh yeah i had one of those four years ago i'm not in yeah it's great it's nice it's nice and there'd be like a a virtual pat on the head <laughs> no and i kept thinking what can i buy that ben has not seen yet <laughs> well i've never owned one of those for good reason probably no, I, look I, I think those those are cool and i and i appreciate that like now all of a sudden people are paying attention to things that they weren't before right which is great right it's a great thing and like th- this industry needs to keep pushing forward via people like you and platforms like ours otherwise it just dies it just becomes stagnant it, going back to that business thing it is it is true though you can tell um and i think what you what you did was smart with your golf thing that you you can tell when it's love and when it's not. Of course, it's and it's weird because how can you tell? 
but you just people just can. Well, right? it's like when when somebody like really wants to talk to you at a cocktail party versus somebody that's like looking around the room looking for like you know the hot chick or the rich guy or whatever. Right. Like you you can tell that right. It, it's no different than that. Like the, so. the way that you post on Instagram, the way that that we shoot these videos that we're doing now with with Adam Scott, uh, it's just like it's born out of like we just want to share want to talk stuff. about. Uh, no, you don't is, is this the right audience for that? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm a huge golfer. You know I that. had no idea you were into golf. <laughs> yes, big golfer. Uh, what's your handicap? Uh, it's like a six. I have no idea what that means. It's is it's it? like pretty good. Like okay. not not what's, great. But what's like, like good. a? Is that out of ten? <laughs> I think it's out of thirty six. I think so. Thirty six is good, or one is good. Uh, zero is is ideal. Then you oh, can get so... into into plus. So like you actually have to like add strokes to your score to get to par. That means you're really good. So a champion golfer would be like what? Well, I, so I play with Adam, who is okay. a, a champion golfer, and we he usually beats me by twenty strokes, on, on eighteen holes. I want to make some jokes here, but <laughs> so 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 is his handicap like plus ten? It, it would be it would be like yeah, probably plus ten if we were, plus eight to ten. Like so that. six is is yeah. pretty good. It, How long have you been playing? Uh, so I, I grew up playing. I when I was the same guy who gave me my Omega also taught me to play golf, and okay. then I stopped in high school and college and then through the Hodinkee years. Right. And then when I had some money and some time, I said, Let, let's get back into it. And then when Adam and I became good friends, it was like, okay, I, I need to be good at golf because I'm friends with this guy. Um, and he invited me to play after years of not playing. And I was just like, I just can't. And we had played at this place called Winged Foot, which is like a very famous golf that course. That must be high pressure. It really was. It really, really was. And I was like, I just like can't go out there and bear around with the foot and yeah. all that kind of... Trump style. Yeah, yeah Trump yeah, style. Yeah, just, yeah. Wait, is Winged yeah. Foot the... I think they had an event there last year. US Open, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like I, the course is fucking bananas yeah it's, it's a big deal for sure yeah. and so he invited me to play there for my first time ever and like when adam is at a golf course like the whole like the crowd will gather around like you know it's like seeing michael jordan shoot hoops oh so everyone's watching you yeah which is terrifying oh that sucks <laughs> it, it actually it did suck uh but i played pretty well and he's still my friend which is right. good yeah so I what's the, too do much. you want to tell us what the idea is yeah so so fair game is in some ways it's the idea of democratizing golf which like it really needs it like i look at golf and it reminds me of watches 15 years ago like mm -hmm. rich white guys run the entire fucking thing like if you're not a, a wealthy guy or even if you are a wealthy guy and don't know the right people like you're just cast aside and so what we want to do is very much the same thing that we did with Hodinki, which is like democratize the idea of being interested in it so we shot a video series we're calling it swing thoughts the first episode was with kelly slater the surfer greatest surfer of all time he's a scratch golfer he's amazing we just did a video today with what's a guy a, named what's a scratch golfer? <laughs> that means like you're you're at zero basically okay like you're very very good like okay. kelly slater could be a pro golfer if he really committed to it uh steph curry is really into it tom brady you know very well known people are really into it so we want to do the exact same thing we did with talking watches which is like hey like kelly slater who's the man is really deep into golf like it's okay for you to be into it too and then more things will kind of come down down the road but it's very much the same idea of just like sharing a passion for like a really dorky thing on the internet and <laughs> i i think i'm good at that so we're doing it that's fantastic and when does it launch so we launched the first video with kelly in january of this year and okay. then there's a video with me, which, you know, everyone's so excited for. Uh, and <laughs> I then can we're imagine. Exactly. And then we're doing one with Freddie Couples, who's another Masters winner, and then other famous people down the road. And how was the, how was the reception to the Kelly video? 100,000 views. You know, which started, again, we started from zero. Uh, I mean, Kelly is a, is a very famous person, which, which helps. Um, you know, so, so far, so good. And the, the, the feedback is positive, um, but so we have a long way of, to what's go. What's the structure on a video like that? Because on Talking Watches, clearly you have mm -hmm. people talking about the watches. Yeah. So I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I've heard uh, that. I'm not yeah. sure if you're aware of what, what those videos <laughs> yeah. entail. So th this is – so Adam is the host. And Adam is famous for having one of the most beautiful and perfect golf swings ever, right. truly. And so they, we call it Swing Thoughts. And you go up there and you say – you know, he'll say like, what do you think about when you're over the ball? And you get these incredibly dorky kind of twisted ideas like what goes through your head right before you, right, right before you swing the club. Uh, and it's just super people, endearing. I mean I would imagine – 
I, I mean, look, as a, a huge sportsman myself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't. I, I would imagine that. I mean, are you thinking about anything when you're about to hit the ball? So, isn't it like some sort of Zen moment of no it, thought at all? So the answer is for 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 me, it, it is that way. But other people are like, okay, I need I need to keep, you know keep my back straight. Oh, I need to about keep all your the head down. Like, okay. and so like there, there's just it's a, even Adam or Tiger or any of the great golfers like it's just a never ending stream of trying to get better. Right. And so when you find these things like Kelly, who is you know the greatest surfer of all time and a scratch golfer, like he has crazy fucking ideas going through his head about swing planes and like balancing left and right. It's wild, and it's just really enduring because you see this guy that is you know this, this world champion just be a dork about golf, and right. to, to see to see that happen at scale, I think will be really compelling. God, that's so interesting, man. It's a little bit like I mean, look, I mean, it's a little bit talking watches for sure. It's a little bit like comedians and cars getting coffee, but it's this idea of serializing this concept. Like there are great golf videos out there already, and you know instructive stuff, but like. Getting good at golf is not that fun, but playing golf with your friends is really fun. And that's what I love about it for sure. And I think this, these videos will say like, hey, like Kelly played golf. You guys should go out for the weekend and goof around and, and, and go do it. So we'll see. But who knows? I mean, like this could be this could be the next Todinky for me or this could be like a fun little project. But either way, I'm, I'm happy to be doing it. So are there other things that you're thinking about doing projects or – I mean, so I'm still involved with Hodinkee, and it's it's still very much. I mean, that, I I was there before. I'll go back there right now. It's still very much a big part of of my life professionally, and um, I think it will be for a long time. So that and and fair game is is enough for me for sure. And then Viva Bastard, and then Viva Bastard as as, as Grab, cultural ambassador, ambassador. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, cultural yeah. ambassador. Yeah, that's right. So when are are you going to raise money for Viva Bastard, or have you already? No, <laughs> this is what he's doing right now. Yeah, this, yeah. That's this, what this is what this is. This is what this is. Uh, I'm setting up a GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> just throw that up at you, the end of the podcast. The thing is, you know, you would like you would make real money doing that. People would invest. I guarantee it. Uh, I mean, the th- you know me, man. I mean, I have no shortage of ideas, and I can see, I can just see the Viva start of the world and how yeah. how I can expand that outwards. I'm not particularly, I'm not a particular, uh, especially good at the business aspect of things. Is that so? I know that's shocking. That's <laughs> shocking. Yeah, I know you think I have a ruthless business mind. You often consult He's me. He's paying on... us to do these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> there is actually no podcast. It's Haggerty with an I at the end. It's a totally different brand. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the, the thing, if, if I may say, and I've yeah, this to your face, so this of is course. not news. Like, yeah. You should put out a call on this episode or another that says, I'm looking for like a business-minded intern or assistant or head of BD or CEO, You know, whatever grade you, you, you want to pay for. Yeah. And like, that's all you need. Like you are truly – like you have the ideas in spades, obviously. But then like you just need somebody to make it all happen. And I think yeah, like I- ideas – I don't – like your ideas are special. No question about it. But like ideas are fucking cheap. Like that is not a business. We all we all know that. Like people learn it's that execution. too late. It's all about execution. No, I know. I know. I mean that's the thing I've learned is that I – mean, and I, I, it, it's, I have no shortage of ideas. But it's, it's weaponizing the ideas, monetizing the ideas, making them functional right. entities. That's where – it all lies. So That's exactly no, I know you're right. You're right, and I should. I should probably. Well, why don't we end the podca- podcast on that note? Anyone who's interested in being CEO of <laughs> Viva Bastardo, please get in touch with me. I'm happy to chat with you. The phones are already ringing. They're off the hook. But I just want to say, Ben, thank you so much for coming, man. It's been such a joy having you here. Uh, really enjoyed it, and you know, good luck with uh, fair play. Fair game, Fair game. Bro. Shit. Sorry, man. I, you see, I, I like good luck with uh, hole in one. I hope that all works out for no, you. No. It, it, it's been a pleasure. And, and as always, Phil, it's great to see you and, and you as well. Yeah. Whatever your name is. <laughs> Mystery Matt. That's right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Ben. Pleasure.